All right, I want to start off, and I'm going to ask in a little bit of... Guys, you seem so far apart right now. Like, just come closer together. Anyways, look, uh, I want to start off, and I'm going to ask a question, and this is not the way I normally start a sermon, but I'm just going to start it off this way. Um, and, and the reason I am is because in, the, in this part of our series, uh, God, Christ, Jesus is becoming very practical. And so here's the question. Does your life ever feel like it is controlled by the bills that you have to pay? Or perhaps it feels like you are locked into this lifestyle that you so want to live, and in order to support this lifestyle, you have to work and work and work in order to create this lifestyle that you so want to have. And on top of that, you never feel like you have enough money to support that lifestyle that you so desperately want to have. Or perhaps you have some goals and you and your spouse are not on the same page and so somebody's spending money that you don't want them to be spending and you keep having fights about how much money is being spent. And even worse than that, in order for you to create this lifestyle, you've got to work hard and so you're working very hard in order to create this lifestyle, only what happens is you end up not getting to spend time with your family that you need to and your friends that you need to, and you don't feel rested at all. In fact, your life feels very unhealthy. And when you do have time with your kids or your spouse or your friends, you are too tired to be engaged. So Jesus has something to say about this, and he wants you to be free. And he teaches us how today. Today, Jesus teaches us the path to true treasure. And in order to get there, we're going to go on this journey, and this journey towards this great eternal treasure starts with your eye, and then moves to your heart, and then moves to your master, and then to your treasure. So your heart, your eye, your, your, eye, your heart, your master, your treasure, and along this journey, you're going, to understand, you're going to begin to understand why you feel so controlled by your circumstances and by your lifestyle, and you're going to realize that you're probably more captive, you're probably more enslaved, and the life is being sucked out of you. So here's our verses. And remember, we're going right along. So we're in our series, Words from the Mountain, and Jesus is taking us around this mountain, and he's teaching us new things. And this is his grand teaching. I mean, this is, this is the teaching he's giving us that everyone's talking about. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And so here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, these verses right in the middle that are talking about the eye being the way that you can see light and light fills the whole body because of this eye seemed very strange to me. 
And I kept reading it, trying to figure out what's going on, and I couldn't figure it out. And the commentaries weren't really helping me, because here's what you got. You got Jesus talking about your treasure, and then at the bottom, he's talking about your master's. And then in the middle, he says this strange, abstract thing about the eye and light getting into your body. So I'm kind of start thinking, okay, this must be what's happening. He's saying what he wants to say in, in the beginning and at the end, and this middle part is a very abstract way of him saying the same thing. This happens a lot in the Bible. It'll say something very practical and then very abstract at the same time to create a point. And I kept reading it, and then I realized something else. Light in the Bible will often refer to good, and darkness refers to evil, but also light refers to truth. And so then I started realizing what's happening. If the eye is unhealthy, then it can't see the light of truth. And if it can't see the light of truth, then that light, that truth, never enters into the eye and then gets throughout the rest of the body into the heart. If so, if your eye is unhealthy, you can't see the truth. And then it can't get into your entire being. When the, when the Bible talks about the word heart, it's talking about the whole self, the whole being, your mind, your will, your emotions. So if the eye can't see, the heart will be in the dark, and then your thinking, your emotions, and your actions will be all messed up. So this, here's what this means. If you arrive at the wrong truth, it's going to mess everything else up in your life. So there's a lot at stake when you are seeking truth. And if you find the wrong truth, not only do you get all out of whack, but your eternity gets all out of whack. So that means the key question that you have to be asking yourself right now is what is a healthy eye? What is an eye that can see truth. Because if your eye isn't healthy, you won't find truth. So what makes an eye healthy? A humble eye is a healthy eye. A humble person, you see this all throughout the Bible, a humble person can find truth, but a prideful person cannot. Why? Because for the prideful person, they are determining truth for themselves. But the humble person realizes how difficult it actually is to arrive at truth. And so they say, I cannot find truth on my own. So they go to God and they say, God, what is truth? So the prideful person makes themselves the authority on truth. And the humble person makes God the authority of what truth is. Now, there's a story about Jesus. He appears before Pilate, and before Jesus is crucified, he's meeting with this man named Pilate, who has all of this authority over him. He could say, yet yeah, you're being crucified. No, you're not being crucified. And so he asks Jesus a question. Jesus answers, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, 
What is truth? So Pilate is saying what so many people say today. Either we all determine truth for ourselves, which means there's a bunch of different truths running around and somehow they're all right, or he's saying that there is no truth at all. Now, what I'd like to say is that is just simply a way to make ourselves the authority of what truth is. So we will either determine truth for ourselves or be humble and go to God. And so what I want to challenge you into thinking right now is think about how hard it is to actually find truth. So since the beginning of time, the greatest of minds and the greatest of thinkers and the greatest of philosophers have been debating over what truth actually is. What do, God, is there a God? What do we make of God? Is this just random and all this stuff just happened to happen? It, what do we make of humanity? What do we make about the way we have to live? And what do we make about truth? And how do we actually find truth? And of all the great thinkers from the beginning of time, people who are far smarter than you and I, no offense, you guys are incredibly smart, but they cannot seem to agree on what is true. Debate after debate. But somehow, most people are so confident that they know exactly what truth is and exactly how they should live. And then I'm going to make it a little bit more difficult for us. Here's the other reality about you finding truth. Very often, what you believe today, in 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I can't believe I thought that was true. And what you believed 10 years ago, you feel very differently about something today. So, if the greatest minds in the history of this world can't agree about truth, and we keep flip-flopping about what we think truth is, then perhaps we just should consider going to God. So your journey to a healthy life and to your true treasure starts with your eye being humbled and then to arrive at truth from God. Now, the next step in your journey in finding this great treasure is that truth gets into your heart. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So when you, your spiritual eye sees the light of truth, that truth starts pumping your heart in such a way that now it's actually alive like it wasn't before. In other words, truth makes you come alive. But if the wrong truth gets into your heart, then your thinking and your feeling and your acting get all messed up because the wrong truth is telling you how to live. Remember, your heart is the seat from which you think, act, and feel. So what happens if the wrong truth gets in your heart, then you start doing something that you think is right, but it's incredibly harmful to you. And it starts you down this completely wrong path, and the longer you stay on that path, the worse your heart gets. But when the right truth gets into your heart, it makes you have right thinking, right acting and right feeling, and over time, your heart becomes healthier and healthier and healthier. So let's just run some tests about what happens when you find the wrong truth. 
So we're going to take a philosopher named Nietzsche. He's my favorite atheist philosopher because he's the most honest about what happens if there is no God. So Nietzsche says there is no God. And he logically says, therefore, if there is no God, that means there must not be any purpose in life. It logically makes sense, and he's right in saying that. But then he says, but no one could really live like there's no purpose. So the uber-human, the superhuman, the superman will create a purpose, knowing that there isn't a purpose, but must create a purpose so that they might live in a healthier way, so that they might have a purpose and it might drive them and it would be good for them. Here's the problem. You can't trick yourself into believing that you have a purpose if you don't. And it actually didn't even work for Nietzsche because he ended up taking his own life. There are other thinkers who will say, well, something else. They'll say, you can't trust anyone who would claim to have the truth. So they would be very angry, and maybe some of you are at me right now, by claiming this is true. Because they would say, that is a power play. You just made a power play so we can't trust you. But I want you to think about what they've just done. They have just said, don't trust David because he's claiming this has, a, this has some authority, this has truth. Don't trust him, he's making a power play. But look at what they just did. They just made a power play by saying, you can't trust me. So they're claiming to be a, bit, a higher authority than this Bible because... They say, if you don't do that, then it's a power play, but they just made a power play. In other words, they just, their argument just crumbled in on itself. So, if you claim there is no truth, here's what happens. Your heart doesn't know what to do. And so you become like a man who is hanging in a tree who falls and is grasping with his arms to try to catch some branch before he hits the ground and dies. And you, the same way your heart is trying to find some truth to hold on to as it is falling, and it's grasping for anything because your heart is made in such a way that it needs to hold on to something that is true and is real. Even if you say there is no truth, your heart aches to find one. And my guess is that most people who claim that there is no truth they're claiming that so that they could live really the way that they just want to. But that's fine, but understand what that leads to. It leads to purposelessness. It leads to there's no meaning. It leads, leads to what in the world are we here for? With that said, whatever truth your heart grasps to, you're desperately trying to find it, will determine the rest of your life. That's why this is so serious. Even if you say you can't find truth, you are holding on to something. Maybe it's that there is no truth, but that will eventually fall out from underneath you. And you'll find yourself falling and you'll look for some truth to hold on to. So whatever truth you're holding on to will direct your steps. It will determine where you go at every crossroads. It will determine every decision in your life. It will determine how you handle your relationships, how you handle broken relationships, how you handle thriving relationships. It will determine whether you should take a job or not take a job. If you're wondering if you should marry someone or not marry someone, truth is telling you what to do, how you should approach parenting, how you should approach friendship, how you should approach sex, Politics, religion, how you should spend your money, how you should not spend your money, whether or not you should trust people, 
who you should trust, how you interact with your neighbors. It just keeps going on and on and on. Truth is telling you how to live your life. And with that, your heart not only needs a truth, but it needs a master. Now that's the next step in finding your treasure, according to Jesus, finding the right master. Your heart, I want you to think of it like a control center. And every heart puts something behind the controls. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. No, I'm behind the controls. Are you? What the Bible keeps trying to convince you of is that you are made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God means a lot of things, but one of those things that it means is that you are made to have someone behind the controls of your heart. And you're made to have a truth that's sitting behind the controls of your heart. Our verse says, no one can have two masters, for they will either hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, our text is saying, look, you're going to have a God, and your God's either going to be God or money. Now, one or the other. Now, let me just clarify this a bit. The word money can also be translated as mammon. So mammon is bigger than money. It might include money, but the word mammon most likely comes from a word that means that which is true and that which you trust in. So, eventually, you either trust in God or money. That's the argument Jesus is making. See, now we're getting at the essence of the verses. What do you trust in most most in life? God or earthly riches? And whatever it is that you trust in most, look, look, whatever you trust in most will eventually sit behind the control center of your heart and teach you everything about how you should live your life, all the ways that you should think, and all the feelings that you should have. So you will either become a slave to worldly wealth or you will become a slave to spiritual health. This is why people never seem to have enough money. If money is your master, then you never have enough of your master. John D. Rockefeller, the richest man in modern history, considering how much he had at the time, was asked, how much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And he responds, just a little bit more. This is what happens when money becomes your master. The richest man in modern history doesn't even have enough. It's like a craving that whatever's sitting at the throne of your heart, behind the controls, craves more of whatever it is. So make money your master, and it's like drinking ocean water. It drains you of the very thing you sought through it, a good life and good health. Money will enslave you if you don't make God your ultimate love. So here's what I want to say. If you make anything other than God your ultimate love, at some point, money or mammon will rise up to the top. And it will become your great love. You say, no, 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 David. I might not have God as my number one love, but my, my family's there. And maybe you're saying, you know, I'm trying to make God my number one love, but I keep putting my family there. But watch what happens. Make family your number one love. 
Well, you want the good life for your family. You love them so much. So what do you do? Well, you got to give them the good life. How do you get the good life? Well, you got to get some more money in order to provide for them. And so you start doing this. You start working harder to get them the life, and you've got some goals, and you start hitting those goals a bit. And then finally, you're there. You're like, man, my kids need to be in the best school, the best house, the best neighborhood. We did it. And then you find out about a private school. And that private school is going to give them a way better education. So you say, well, let's get them there. And so you say, okay, i got to do a little bit more work. I'm going to take a side job here, or I need to get a promotion. You find yourself maybe lying a little bit in order to get the promotion because you're trying to get to the good life for your kids, but you need some money to get it. So... You've done that now, and now they're in private school. This is great. But what you find now in private school is that everybody else has a different kind of lifestyle. And they have better houses and better neighborhoods and better cars. And you don't want your kids to feel like they don't fit in, so what do you do? you got to get some more money so you can get to the lifestyle that you need to get. And so you work and work and work at that. And what you find is that money has ended up controlling your entire situation. And it snuck its way to the top. And over time, you realize you have not spent enough time with your kids at all. You've neglected them, but you did it because you were trying to provide for them. All the while, they're resenting you, and you're so frustrated because you're saying, you don't understand, I did all this for you. And they will say, no, you didn't. But the reality is you did it for money because it snuck its way in. And it's so secretive that you don't even realize that it's there, ruling you. It's snuck into your heart. You thought money was a tool to get you the good life, but instead money drained you of life. And it became your master. Because it's what you think about most. I mean, think about this. This is a question should do every, everything I needed to do. Should just do the trick. Why do you work? For God? Or for money? And that should just answer it for us. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't be providing for your family, but what I'm saying is, why are you working? What is the end goal? Martin Luther wisely says that money is a great servant, but a horrible master. And unless God is your master, money will end up mastering you and enslaving you. And perhaps you're saying to yourself, okay, I can just make money a thing, but I don't have to make it my master. Why is it either money or God, David? I mean, I don't understand why you're saying that. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if you don't make God your master, then anything that is your master will say, I need something. And whatever it needs, in the end, requires some type of mammon, some type of Money, some type of something to get what it is that you need. And as soon as that happens, it's now snuck into your heart. If you don't, listen, listen to this. If you don't have a God that is strong enough, when money comes knocking at the control center of your heart, it will sneak in. If you don't have a God that can fight it off, a real God. That's why Jesus says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is great. It's a good thing. It's not bad to have money. But when you love it too much, 
It's no longer a tool anymore, but a master. And it sneaks into your heart and it rules you. So you need a greater master to fight it off. So here's where we've gone. So we're on the journey. Journey starts with the eye that has truth. That truth gets into the heart. And as that truth gets into the heart, you begin to look for a master to come and rule at the control center who has the right truth. And now that master will tell you what to treasure. Did you follow that? I, truth, to the heart, the truth will tell you what the right master is. That master will then tell you what the right truth is. And then the master will tell you the truth of what the right treasure is. So, your treasure, let's define what a treasure is. Your treasure is what you see as the good life. Or what will get you the good life. Now, Money and God start off as a tool to get you the good life. Now, that seems weird that I said God is a tool, but it's true because here's what you do. We always do this. We always approach God with the wrong motives, and then he starts changing us. That's what God does. He's in the business of changing us. And so we're always going to God for the wrong reasons, but he's always then, once we're there, he's like, let me talk to you about truth. Let me talk to you about the right way to live. Let me talk to you about the motives of your heart. So we're always driven to him with wrong motives, yet he's always changing us as we go to him. So, whatever your tool is that gets you to the good life eventually will become your greatest love and your master. So what's the good life in your mind you want to be happy. What's the happy life for you, okay? Now, what's the tool that's going to get you there? Whatever that tool is, eventually it will take the spot on the throne of your heart. So eventually you will either say, God will give me the good life, or money will. The point of the text is that when you make God your master, he will convince you that the good life the treasure that you seek, it's not here. It's somewhere else. Don't seek the, to build the good life here because it will not last. That's the point that Jesus is making here. So you want to build an eternal treasure. What do you do? Can you do that? Can you build an eternal treasure right now? Yes. You start building God's kingdom here on the earth. So then you should be saying right now, okay, so there is a treasure that lasts on into eternity, and I can build it now, so how in the world do I start building it? Well, go to your master who will tell you the truth of how to live. Look, I know it sounds weird that I keep saying master. That's what Jesus is saying in the text. And partly I'm saying it because it's messing with you, because you don't like that word. You don't want to have a master, but you need one. You just need a good one. Okay, so, point of the text is that you need the master to tell you what the treasure is and then how to build that eternal treasure now. So how do you do that? What are the actions that you need to take so that what you do today can last on into eternity so you could take the building blocks, the eternal building blocks now, and start building something that will last forever? Here's what you do. Here are the actions. You seek to help the poor and the orphan, the elderly, and the widow. So what we're doing in the nursing home this is a beautiful way to build up God's kingdom here on the earth that will provide the building blocks that last on forever. 
You're doing that. That's something you're building. When you go help with Grove Kids, same thing. When you're teaching them, same thing. When you're serving here, same thing. And you give to those in need. You invest in those around you where you live, work, and play. You invest in any way. That could mean you invest monetarily. That could mean you invest in with your time, that could mean that you have talents and you invest with those talents, but you are serving others. You are giving for others, not for your own gain, but for the gain of others. You invite people to church, building God's kingdom. You help people grow in their faith. You say, well, some of these things I don't know how to do. I don't know how to help someone grow in their faith. Well, keep sticking around and you'll learn. This is the job of the church is to be your guide to help you become who God wants you to become. There's this beautiful version of you in eternity, and the whole purpose of the church is to help you become closer and closer and closer to that person here now. So I want you to imagine this. You're in eternity, and you're looking around, and you are seeing things that you actually built here on the earth, and they lasted There's this great chasm, there's this great divide between heaven and earth, but somehow the kingdom of God came here and was being worked in and through you, and because of that, you built something that lasted forever. With your kids, with your friends, with your spouse, with your coworkers. You did this for them. And that's the truth that you must hold on to. And if you will hold on to that truth, then purpose will absolutely flood into your life. Because what you're doing matters. And it's not temporary, but it lasts on. And here's the most important reason of building your treasure right now. This treasure that is God. This treasure that is his kingdom. You build the right treasure. Look, here's why it's important. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Build your treasure here on the earth, and it remains, your heart remains here. At best. Build your treasure in heaven, and your heart is in heaven. If you treasure your kingdom here on the earth, you will seek to build a kingdom that is temporary a kingdom where rust comes in, a kingdom where moths come in, a kingdom that is being destroyed and is fading and is being stolen away from you. And as you build that kingdom, your heart is latched to it. And whatever happens to that kingdom happens to your heart. But if you will seek to build the kingdom that God teaches us to build that lasts on forever, then your heart will be woven into the fabric of that kingdom. And where your heart is, there, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So therefore, you will live on into eternity. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And your heart will be with the only master that doesn't say die for me, but I will die for you. Every other master says serve me. But Jesus comes and he says, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. There's a lot at stake and truth is at stake and he's dying for it. 
and every other master will eventually drain you of life. But Christ goes onto the cross and is drained of life so you can go on. Something is temporary. It needs something else to survive. It needs something to die. It needs something to be drained of life for it to survive if it is temporary. You need this. You need this to survive. You need something to die to survive. You need, if you're going to eat meat, something had to die. If you're going to eat a plant, something had to die. If you don't want to eat meat, you can eat plants, but it still has to die and it won't taste as good. Here's the point. When that which is temporary is dying, it needs something else to die so that it might live. But when that which is eternal dies for that which is temporary, now that which is temporary becomes eternal. Do I need to say that again? Okay, I will. When that which is eternal dies for what is temporary, what is temporary now becomes eternal. Christ, eternally, he's eternity, in eternity. He died for you. You live on. You're no longer temporary anymore. And then, as he rises from the grave, he breaks this chasm and he breaks this divide that's between heaven and earth so that now what you do today can echo on into eternity. Everything you do today can last because of him if you build his kingdom. Fix your eye on the truth, this massive truth claim that God has come into the world. He did not want you to be on your own, but he's come for you. Despite everything, he has come, and he has died so that you don't have to, and he's risen from the grave to usher his kingdom in, and one day he's going to return and make all things right. So you hang on to that truth, and what you'll do is you'll begin to build eternity now. And that becomes a lifestyle that doesn't own you anymore. But you allow God to tell you how to live your life. And let him show you what to do. And you let him show you the true path towards a treasure that will last. All right, I'm praying. God, we thank you for being good to us. God, I pray that we would learn what it means to treasure the right things. That we would see clearly the way that you'd have us live and that we'd make sense of all this. God, that we are fumbling around here trying to find some type of truth to hold on to, some type of treasure that could finally satisfy us. And God, I pray right now that we would remove these truths in our hearts, or you would remove them, and you would deposit in our hearts something that is real and that is eternal, and that we would set our hopes upon eternity, and that as we do that, we would know that what we really do today does matter, and there's a purpose behind it, and that can give us courage to face the things that are difficult for us to face, and that could give us the determination that we need to press through things, and that could give us the confidence and trust in you that you're at work in us, and you've not left us on our own. Despite our pain, despite our suffering, 
you have come, you have died for us, and you've risen. And because of that, we have hope. And our hope is not put to shame. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.